0: Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers, I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. We're going to see in this chapter, we're going to see all things made new, and we're going to see the millennial reign of Christ, and we're going to see also the great white throne judgment at the end of the chapter. So I'll give you just a moment to turn there in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, and uh, I want to start off with a question for you to answer. The question is this, do you believe in heaven and hell? You might be thinking, well, we're in church. Of course we believe in it. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. Well, author C.S. Lewis said this, if heaven is real, then nothing else matters. If heaven is not real, then nothing matters at all. If heaven is real, then nothing else matters except heaven and what heaven wants us to do. But if heaven isn't real, then nothing matters at all. So does it matter that heaven is real? Yes, it does. Does it matter if hell is real? Well, that's like asking, does it matter if life has consequences or not? Of course it matters. If there are no consequences in life and there are no consequences for our decisions and the way we do things, then uh, uh, we're going to have utter chaos break out. It does matter. And it does matter for eternity. Now, in our last study... At the end of chapter 19, a lot of people were dead by the end of the battle of Armageddon. Jesus came back to earth and his bride came with him. The Antichrist and the false prophet were thrown in the lake of fire. But there is one more enemy left. The one who started this whole rebellion against God, he still has to be dealt with. And that's what we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 20. So let's begin now with Revelation 20, beginning with verse 1. Now, we'll stop right there just for a moment. So we see here that Satan is bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years where he can't deceive anyone anymore. Now, this is the same bottomless pit, the same abyss that the demon locusts came out of. You remember those a few chapters earlier? But the difference this time is Satan is bound and he is sealed in where he absolutely cannot get out. He is sealed in. However, he is let loose one last time and we'll get into that a little later on in the service tonight. But now during this thousand years, everything is made right. There's no more false religions. There's no more corrupt economy. There's no more political upheavals, none of that. Jesus makes everything right, and Jesus brings perfect peace to the earth. Now some people say the word millennium is not in the Bible, and that's true. It is a Latin word that simply means one thousand. So when you hear the word millennium or millennial, it means a thousand. That's what it means. So when people talk about the millennial reign, it refers to the thousand-year reign of Christ here on this earth. But some people who say, well, the word millennium is not in the Bible, so I don't believe it. They use that as an excuse that it's not going to happen. Well, just because the word uh, isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Uh, You know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's a word that we use to uh, describe the catching away of the church when Jesus comes back. But that does not mean that it's not going to happen. The church is going to be called up or raptured. To heaven, uh, that's the blessed hope of the church, and we see evidence of that throughout the Bible. And we're going to see evidence of this uh, for the millennium as well here when we read this. So as we read through this chapter, chapter 20, I-, I want you to count how many times John uses the phrase thousand years, okay? Just underline it in your Bible, you can keep track of it. And so we've already, he's already said it several times there in the first three verses. Let's look again now at verse 4. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, Jesus is going to have a government. It's not going to be a government like anything we have here in America or anywhere else in the world. He's going to rule the world the way it should be. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Finally. Uh, the Bible actually gives a, gave us a glimpse uh, or a prophecy about His government before He was born. It's found in Isaiah chapter nine verses six and seven. We often read these verses at Christmas time because it is a prophecy of when Messiah will come. But this is what Isaiah the prophet said: "For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now listen to this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever... And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Jesus, when he sets up his government on the earth during that thousand year reign, that millennial reign, it's going to be a perfect kind of peace, a a perfect government, and there'll be no end to it. Hallelujah. So who are the people that are on the earth at this time? Well, there are two groups of people on the earth. The first group is the Christians who came back with Jesus and who are going to reign with him. They are part of the first resurrection, as we just read. Now, the first resurrection includes all those that are raptured and those that are saved during the tribulation period. And John says uh, in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, on such the second death has no power. So being born again has many advantages, and one of them is when you're born twice, you only die once. But if you're only born once, you're going to have to die twice. That's what John's saying. When you're born again, you're born first of the the flesh, then you're born again of the Spirit. You're born twice. If you're born twice, if you're born again, you're only going to have to die once, and that's when you die here, you'll wake up in heaven never to die again. Any born-again people here tonight? Anybody glad for that? So born twice, die once. However, if you're not born again, if you're only born once of the flesh, then you will have to die twice. You will die once here on earth, and then when you stand before God on judgment day and you are sentenced to go to eternity in the lake of fire, you will die the second time, and that death will never end. So born twice, you'll die once. Born once, you'll have to die twice. So my friends, we definitely need to be born again. Amen? So that's the first group. The people who were part of that first resurrection. But the second group of people here on the earth are going to be the survivors of the tribulation period. There will be people who will survive the tribulation period. You know, there's going to be babies born during the tribulation period. And there are going to be innocent babies and innocent toddlers by the time the tribulation period ends. And those survivors will not necessarily be Christians. There will be people there. And so that's the two groups of people. That'll be here on the earth by the time Revelation 20 comes about. Now, Jesus taught that there will be people from all around the world, all walks of life during the millennial reign. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, so far in this study... We've been focusing on what's happening on earth during the tribulation period. But what happens in heaven... During the tribulation period. We know, you know, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments are poured out. Those things take place in heaven and then they manifest on earth. But what else happens during that time in heaven? Well, the judgment seat of Christ will be taking place during that time. Now, the Bible tells us about the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says, "...for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now on that day, this this judgment is for Christians. This is the one that, that, that all believers will go to. They will stand before Jesus, and Jesus will judge us for the things we did here on earth. Now believers will not be judged for sin... Because our sins have been washed away by Jesus' blood when we were saved. So this is not a judgment for sin. This is a judgment of our works. The things that we did for God or did not do for God here on earth, that's what this judgment seat is for. Uh, keep your finger in Revelation 20. We'll come back to that. But let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul goes into a little more detail about our works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. He says this in verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, wood, hay, and stubble, That Paul talks about represents the earthly part of our lives, the selfish motives, our idle words, our self-righteousness, all the earthly parts, the ungodly parts of our lives that didn't do us any good or anybody else any good, and especially not the kingdom of God. And the gold, silver, and precious stones represent the godly parts of our lives. The times that we witnessed to the lost people. The times we prayed for those who persecuted us. The times that we kept our faith in the Lord no matter what was coming against us. And so Paul asks, what foundation are you building your life on? The foundation is Jesus, but what are you building on? What what materials are you using to build your your life on? Because Jesus is the foundation, but is your building that you're working on? We used to sing that song, I'm working on a building for my Lord, for my Lord. Well, we're all working on a building. Are you laying down gold, silver, and precious stones? That's the things you're doing for God. Or are you just building it uh, out of wood, hay, and stubble, which is going to pass away? You see, our works are gonna be judged by fire and the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. The gold, silver, and precious stones will be purified. They'll be refined by the fire. And whatever is left, Paul says in verse 15, verse 14, 15, whatever is left of our life's work will either be our reward or our loss. And there will be people who will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They are Christians. They are saved. They made it to heaven. They went in the rapture. But they will lose. their whole. They'll watch their whole life go up in smoke. Some of those people will be people who wait to the very last minute to get saved. There are people who have heard the gospel message over and over again, and yet they wait to the last minute, and then they finally confess, and they finally get saved. Well, when they stand before God, they'll watch their whole life on earth go up in smoke. What a waste. That's why we want to do everything we can to encourage people to get saved now. Because, listen, getting saved is not just uh, heaven insurance Not just a retirement plan. Getting saved is abundant life right here, right now. Jesus comes alongside you and is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Hallelujah. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the rapture is no mere escape for believers because their works and their motives will be judged. Did you know it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motives? It sure is. And there'll be people at the judgment seat of Christ who we think will have done mighty things for God. But then they'll come up with just a little reward because they did right things, but they did them for the wrong reasons. The story is told of a man who stood before God at the end of his life. He was proud of his accomplishments. And he said, Lord, I went to church all my life, even as a child. And God said, well, the reason you were there is because your mother made you go. You really didn't want to go, so I'll give that reward to your mother. So the man says, well, Lord, I gave money to the church and missions programs every time the offering plate was passed. And God said, well, the reason you gave is because you love the recognition and the plaques you received on earth. So you've already received your reward for that. Well, the man said, now, Lord, you know how I sang your praises all around the country. Many people were saved because of my singing. And God said, the reason you sang is because you loved the attention and the applause and the money it brought. And when his whole life was judged, he ended up with a thimble-sized crown as his life's reward. Now, of course, that's a fictional story, but I wonder how many people... That will actually be true of. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Don't live 70, 80, 90, 100 years in this life and then watch it all go up in smoke because you were doing good things but you did them for the wrong reasons. Listen, make sure you do the right things for God and with the right motives because that's the only way it's going to count. And my friend, it doesn't matter if you ever get any recognition here on earth or not. When you stand before God, you want to have, have something to show for your life's work here on earth. And that's why, my friends, we need to be about our Father's business. That's why believers worldwide need to measure themselves, not according to the world, but according to the Word. Not according to men, but according to the Master. Not according to the temporary, but according to the Eternal. Leave a legacy behind, a legacy that you won't be ashamed when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shouldn't wait until we get to heaven and then hope we did enough for the Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Basically, our works are being judged now by the people who are watching our lives. Our lives and we are to live in such a way that people who watch us will be drawn closer to Christ by the way that we live. St. Francis of Assisi said this one time, and I quote, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And what he meant was this. Our actions speak louder than words ever will. And people are watching our actions. Do you realize tonight? Your neighbors know whether you're in church tonight or not. They see, they know when your car is gone on Sunday morning. They know when your car is gone Sunday night. They know, yet people are watching you. You don't even know it, but I promise you. Now, I'm not trying to make you paranoid. I'm just letting you know your actions speak louder than your words, and people are watching us. And when the trumpet sounds, you won't have time to stop and think about whether you did enough for God or not. We need to make sure we're doing everything we can. Every day that God gives us, let's make the most of it and do everything we can. Can to bring glory to God. Amen? Now, when studying the end times, there are many different interpretations of scriptures. As we've learned during our study of the rapture and the tribulation, there are different views held by different groups as to when, how, and where these events will take place. Well, the millennial reign is no different. There are several questions that people ask, like, is the millennial happening now? Uh, is it symbolic? Or will it actually happen in the future? Now, in order to understand what the Bible says or teaches about a given subject, it's always a good idea to seek the meaning of a passage within its context and then also within the Bible as a whole. For example, Genesis chapter 3, we read how Eve was deceived by a serpent. So we need to look at the whole Bible to determine if it was a regular snake or if it was something else that tempted Eve. So first, the book of Genesis tells us that this serpent had knowledge and abilities that ordinary snakes don't have. I mean, number one, he talked. Okay, I don't know if if a snake's been talking to you lately or not, but I haven't met one of those yet. But this one did. He talked, and then also he was able to tempt people into disobeying God. Now, regular snakes don't do that. And then we read in Revelation 20, verse 2, we read it just a few moments ago, it says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So just a quick example, by taking the whole Bible together, putting things in place, we see from the literal interpretation of Scripture that the serpent who tempted Eve was actually Satan. Satan. So that's the way it is. That's what I've been doing with this study in the, in the book of Revelation. Again, I haven't been going too deep with it. I just want to kind of give you a good basic groundwork of the book of Revelation, a basic understanding of it. But when it comes to the millennial reign, there are three different views that people take of the millennial reign. Those three are, the first one is called the amillennialist view. The amillennialist view. The second one is the post millennialist view now post means after so that's the after millennial view and the third view is the pre millennialist view now pre means before so that's the before millennial view so the first one is the a millennialist view that teaches the millennium is happening right now those who believe this say that there's no literal reign of Christ on the earth that Satan was bound at the cross And we're reigning with Christ inside of us right now. Now, those who believe that, that's what they believe. But the problem with that view is this. Governments are still rebelling against God. Thousands of people are being killed every day for Jesus. So where is the peace? Uh, Nothing has been made right in the world. Things are still falling apart. So I don't believe in the amillennialist view, all right? That's just where I stand. The second view, as I told you before, is the post or after millennial reign view. Now, this teaches that Christ will not come back until after that long period of peace on the earth, when the earth when the world has been converted. Basically, the affairs of earth will get better and better, and it's the church's mission to set up Christ's kingdom for him, and then he will come. Now, that's also known as the kingdom now preaching. Well, the problem with this view is the world is not getting better and better. It's actually getting worse. And Jesus tells us that there will be a great falling away before he comes back, and we're starting to see that now. I mean, look around you. Look at all the empty pews around you tonight. People just don't care about the things of God anymore. People are losing interest. They're falling away from God. They're falling away from the faith, and so we're seeing that. So you see, we see that, yes, the church is still here. The church is still preaching the gospel. People are still being saved, but again, I don't see how the kingdom is coming to pass now. And if it is, we're still going to have a long ways to go before that happens. So that's the problem with that one. And the third view is the pre-millennialist view or the before-millennium view. And that means that Jesus will return before the thousand years of peace. He will reign on the earth for the thousand years and he will fulfill all the prophecies in the future. So using a literal interpretation of Scripture, which of these three millennial views does the Bible teach? Well, it teaches the pre-millennialist view, because we just read, just in this study tonight, how that Jesus comes back to earth, we come back with him, Satan is bound for a thousand years, the bottomless pit, and then the millennial starts. So Jesus comes first, then the millennium takes place, and so we believe in the pre-millennialist view. Now, we're going to take a few minutes now. We're going to imagine what life is going to be like during the millennial reign of Christ. Imagine a thousand years of perfect peace on the earth with no crime, no sickness, no hunger, no fear. The millennial reign will take place on this earth Now that's important to understand because today we hear a lot of bad news about global warming, about depletion of the ozone layer, how that we're destroying our earth. But the Bible teaches this earth right here is going to last another 1,000 years at least, and that's not counting the tribulation period, so we've got at least another 1,007 years that this earth, this earth will exist. So don't live in fear that Mother Earth is dying because our Heavenly Father knows the future and He knows what He's doing. Hallelujah. Now, does that mean that we should disregard everything we're hearing and, and we shouldn't take care of our planet? No. We should take care of a planet because God gave us dominion over this earth. He created it in Genesis, and he gave man dominion over it. So guess what? If it's, being, if it's being abused, guess whose fault it is? It's our fault. It's man's fault. So we need to take care of what God's given us. But don't live in fear that the ozone layer is going to go away anytime soon. And don't live in fear of all this global warming. I know there's, there's a big push politically right now, but I'm telling you, the Bible, we need to stand on the word of God. Amen. Now, the, the prophet Amos says this in Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And they that tread the grapes will overtake him that sows the seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Now, Amos is talking about during the millennial reign. Amos says that during the millennial reign, those who plow the ground and plant the seeds will catch up with those who are reaping the harvest. Now, imagine that. Most of the time right now, we have to plow the ground first, then plant the seeds, and then wait a long time For harvest comes. Amos says in the millennial reign, when Jesus takes over this earth... That the plowman who's plowing the next row for the next crop is going to overtake the people who are harvesting right then. So you're going to have harvest time and seed time at the same time. Hallelujah. There's going to be so much. There's going to be so much blessing. There's going to be so much food. Hallelujah. That the plowers are going to catch up with those who are reaping. Praise the Lamb of God. It's hard for me to imagine that, but that's what it's going to be like. Let's look at some more scriptures about the millennium. Let's turn over to Micah chapter 4, Micah, chapter 4, hallelujah, Micah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says this, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it, and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more." But they will sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all people will walk every one the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Christ's millennial kingdom is going to be a physical, geopolitical kingdom that will encompass the whole world. But Micah says its headquarters will be in Jerusalem. And Micah actually referred to it as Mount Zion. Now Micah says there are four things that people are going to be doing during the millennium. Uh, he says, number one, that everyone is going to worship the Lord. He says that in verse 2. They will go to the house of the Lord, and he will teach them of his ways, and they will walk in his paths. Imagine Jesus himself teaching us his ways. Mm, hallelujah. And the whole world is going to be following Jesus. Hallelujah. The second thing that will happen, he says, they will, there will be no more war. Verse 3. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No more fighting. Hallelujah. Perfect peace. The third thing that'll happen, there'll be no more fear. Verse 4, none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. You will never have to lock your doors and windows ever again. No fear for nothing. You'll never have to worry about anybody coming to get your stuff. No fear. Hallelujah. And the Lord has spoken it so it will happen. And the fourth thing, everyone will serve one God. Verse five, for all people will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You know, today we see those coexist bumper stickers that people have on the back of their cars and the, the C and the O and the E-X-I-S-T of the letters all are a symbol of a different religion. And what that bumper is saying is all the religions need to come together. Well, it's not gonna happen. But when Jesus takes place or takes takes his place as ruler of this world. One day everyone is going to serve Jesus and everyone will coexist, amen. There will be no other religions except Christianity. Hallelujah. And that, fulf- that, that first commandment, you'll have no other gods before me. We'll see the fulfillment of that in the millennial reign and we'll see what, a, what an effect it has on the world. Now the government during the millennial reign will be a theocracy, that means a system of government in which leaders rule in the name of God. All the leaders will be Christians. Hallelujah. Can you imagine that? Woo. Everybody will be ruling in the name of God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21, Jesus said, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now that's Jesus telling us one more promise of how believers will rule and reign with Christ. And the thing is, not only will the millennial reign affect people, but even the animal kingdom is going to be affected. Let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 11. I want to show you this. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The prophet Isaiah got to prophesy about this, the millennial reign. And in these verses, he focuses on the animal kingdom. Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear will feed side by side. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now Isaiah gives nine examples of how the millennial reign will affect the animal kingdom. Can you imagine a wolf living with a lamb and not hurting it? Can you imagine a leopard sleeping with a baby goat and not hurting it? Can you imagine a lion playing with a calf and a little child will lead them all around? Can you imagine a cow and a bear eating side by side and their young ones are playing together, not hurting each other? Can you imagine a lion eating straw like an ox? Can you imagine a toddler playing with snakes and not getting bitten? The, 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 when Jesus comes into rain, everybody's going to fall into place. Even the animals are going to obey him. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the wild animals will change from carnivores to vegetarians. That's amazing to me. But you know, the God who created them can command them what they can eat and what they can't. Amen? In fact that was the way it was in the world before Noah's flood. When you read Genesis up through chapter 6, you'll realize that just before Noah's flood, man and beast were all vegetarian. Now that would also explain how man and dinosaur could live together peacefully on the earth and they wouldn't hurt each other. They were all vegetarians. In fact, It wasn't until after the flood that God permitted them to start eating meat. You can read that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. God said, Every living thing that moves shall now be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So after they came off the ark and after the flood, then they began eating meat. But for the first nine chapters of Genesis... Everybody was vegetarian. And that also is how all the animals was able to stay on Noah's Ark for over a year. And yes, they were there over a year. It wasn't just 40 days. It wasn't a little cruise. They were on there for a year and 10 days. You can look it up in Genesis. And And none of the animals hurt each other. You know why? Because they were all vegetarian. Even the people, they were all vegetarian. There was chickens running around, but nobody wanted chicken. There was turkeys running around, but nobody wanted a turkey leg. Everybody ate, were vegetarians. And that's how Noah was able to get all the food on the ark, and they were all able to eat. It's amazing when you read the Bible for yourself, you realize God had it all planned out from the beginning. And here we are at the end of the Bible, and God still has it all planned out. Hallelujah. Let's turn now to Zechariah chapter 14. We're still talking about the millennial reign. Zechariah 14, verses 16 through 19. Verse 16 says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, That have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Now Zechariah here prophesies there will be people left after the battle of Armageddon because not everybody wants to fight Jesus. (laughs) And so these are the survivors that we were talking about earlier. These are the ones that we're going to rule and reign over. Now, I want you to notice what Zechariah said. During the millennial reign, everyone will still keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, why is that important? Well, we need to understand what the Feast of Tabernacles is. In the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day celebration in which the people lived in temporary huts. This was done to remind them of how their ancestors lived in tents in the wilderness. It was symbolic of declaring that they depended on God today just as much as their ancestors did back then. So it is a seven day celebration saying, Lord, we still depend on you. We need you now today just as much as our ancestors did when they were in the wilderness. That's what the, that's what it's about. So why will that be important in the, during the millennial reign? Because it will symbolize the final harvest of souls at the end of time and their total dependence on God. Because even today, we still need God today. Amen? We still depend on Him. Now, this is when the Bible prophesies that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, according to Zechariah... He said, Those people and nations that refuse to worship the Lord and keep the Feast of Tabernacles during the millennium will be stricken with drought and a plague. So God really takes this seriously even during that time. And so it's still going to be important during that time. All right. So we'll talk. Well, that, that's enough for the millennial reign right now. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 20 and let's pick up with verse 7 of Revelation 20. Verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, my question of this text before I actually figured out what was going on, my question was always this. Why is Satan released after the thousand years? I mean, listen, we've got perfect peace. Everybody's in harmony. Satan is bound. Just leave him there. Can I have an amen? Just, just, we've already dealt with, just leave him there. But the reason why he's let go is because those born during the millennium still have a choice to make. They still have to choose between Jesus or Satan. Because you imagine, I mean, listen, think about this. We have over 7 billion people on this planet right now. And that's with sickness and disease and natural disasters killing people by the thousands every day. Now, you imagine a thousand years of perfect peace. You talk about a population explosion. It's going to happen during that millennial reign. The whole world is going to be populated again. I don't know. I don't have any numbers here, but just just imagine... Uh, you know, perfect peace. People are going to be raising families and having kids like crazy. And so there's going to be all kinds of people at the end of the millennial reign that haven't made the choice yet. Because here's the thing. You know, God lets people decide who they want to serve. God doesn't want a bunch of robots serving him because they're forced to. God wants people to choose whether to serve him or not, whether to love him or not. And the other thing that strikes me about this text it's crazy. After a thousand years of peace and blessing, many still choose to rebel against God and serve the devil. Now, that has always blown my mind every time I read it. Because, you know, many people today, many leaders say they want world peace. And when they finally get it, they don't want it anymore. You know what they're really saying when they say we want world peace? What they're saying is we want it done our way and we want to be in charge. That's what they're saying because Jesus gives them a thousand years of world peace and they still turn against him. My friend, that is that sinful human nature. And the devil deceives these people. And the Bible says, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they will not escape. You know, our world leaders they cry peace, safety. Then the tribulation period the antichrist are going to say peace, safety. Don't believe it. The only time you're going to have peace and safety is when Jesus puts his foot on this earth and he, is, he establishes the millennial reign of Christ and we rule and reign with him. Then we'll have peace and safety and you don't have to worry about it. But I want you to notice, Satan is loosed. He goes out and deceives the nations again. And I want you to notice how big his army is. John said, it is like the sand of the sea. In other words, he gets an army so big you can't number it. That amazes me. Again, these people have been blessed by God. They've had a thousand years of peace. They've been living with blessings. And yet when the devil's loose, they rebel against their God. My friends, that's why when we read the, tribulate, when we read the, the tribulation period and, and how people just keep turning their back on God no matter what he's doing, people are, are like that even today. They get hard-hearted toward God even when he blesses them every day. And so he gets an army was so big that you can't number it. But God destroys them with fire out of heaven, and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. He's finally dealt with. He's gone for good now. That's it. It's over. Jesus won, and Satan's in the lake of fire. Hallelujah. And if you've been counting the phrase thousand years, it's mentioned six times this chapter. So the word millennium is not in the Bible, but it is going to happen. Amen. It's there. Hallelujah. The story is told years ago a college student took his final exams in class but he hadn't studied for them so it was no surprise when he got his scores back and he'd failed each one of them and while he was preparing to go home for christmas he sent this text message to his mother and he said failed everything prepare papa <laughs> to which his mother sent this text message back papa is prepared now prepare yourself <laughs> Now, that story illustrates the importance of why we are studying the book of Revelation. It was given to us by God to prepare us for what will happen at the end of time. My friend, your heavenly Father is prepared. Are you? Are you ready? Now, after Jesus defeats Satan's army, then the great white throne judgment takes place. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers, This is not the first time that God has judged mankind, but it will be the last. It is the great white throne judgment. Look at Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and he that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books According to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now notice, heaven and earth flee away from God's face at this final judgment. So earth disappears. Heaven disappears. And this great white throne is there suspended, I I guess, in outer space. It's just there. There's Earth is gone. Heaven's gone. But there's this great white throne there because the laws of nature and time and space are dissolved by the one who created them. And so this great white throne appears and all the wicked stand before God. Again, there's nothing to stand on. Earth is gone, heaven's gone, but they're standing there. Again, God just uh, God suspends the laws of time and space and nature, and they're all standing before God there at the great white throne. And the wicked are judged by their own works that are written in the books. Now, this is the second resurrection. A pastor friend of mine who used to work in the coal mines, he said... Uh, he worked with a guy who claimed to be an atheist. And he would, his job, or he felt like his job, was to go around and just give all the Christians a hard time. He would make fun of the Christians. And uh, this pastor friend of mine told me that this guy would be, he'd be taking a shower after work, he you was know, showering off the coal dust and stuff, and he'd be in there singing, Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down, making fun of Christians. And he said, That used to burn me up and then god reminded me there is a second resurrection it's the resurrection of the dead the resurrection of the wicked when all the evil people and the wicked people are resurrected and god said what he's saying is true he just don't know it yet my friend everybody is going to be resurrected the godly will be resurrected at the rapture the first resurrection And the wicked will be resurrected at the second resurrection, which is for the great white throne judgment. Now imagine a book that has recorded everything you've ever said, done, or thought. These are the books that are opened at the great white throne judgment. And listen to me. If you are not saved, if you do not make it in the first resurrection... This is where you will find yourself. Not just those here today, but those listening to this message on the internet and on CD. If you are not saved, when you die, you will find yourself standing before this great white throne. And there will be books that will have everything written down that you've ever done. And God is going to read it out loud for everyone to hear. Your own life is going to judge you. Now you might think, well, I'm not a bad person. Really? Compared to who? Because usually we compare ourselves to somebody else who's usually worse than us. And we're thinking, you know, well, look, I'm, I'm not like them. I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I've never cheated on my spouse. I'm a good person. But can I tell you something? God's not going to compare you to other people. God compares us to Jesus. And compared to Jesus... Me and you and everybody come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word all, that means good people. That means church people. That means politicians. That means Billy Graham. That means the Pope. That means your mama, my mama, your grandma, my grandma. All have sinned. And when you compare us to Jesus, we all come sure of the glory of God. So really, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And if you find yourself at the great white throne judgment, your own life is going to be read back to you, and your own life is going to judge you. And I want you to notice something else here in verse 13. It says that even hell gives up the dead in it. So hell is not the final destination for the wicked. Hell is the holding place. When someone dies now, or when they die in the tribulation period, uh, when they die without Jesus, they go to hell. But at the great white throne, hell gives up everybody in it. And so the last, the final destination, the Bible tells us there in verse 15, whoever was not found written in the book of life, is thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the final eternal destination for the wicked. And notice that even hell itself, it says death and hell are also thrown in the lake of fire. So hell itself is thrown into the lake of fire. So wherever it is, it must be huge. It must be huge because all the armies of the devil at that last battle are thrown in there. All the wicked in the whole human race are thrown in there. Satan and his demons are thrown in there. Hell is taken and thrown in there. Death is throttled by the throat and thrown in the lake of fire. Everything goes to the lake of fire. That is the final eternal destination. And chapter 20 ends with that thought. And we'll end with that tonight as well. You know, years ago, there was an old TV show called Lost in Space. And it featured a robot that every time it sensed danger, it would say, warning, warning, danger, danger. Well, that's what the book of Revelation is like to us today. It is a warning to everyone that there is a judgment day coming and we need to get ready for it. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The lake of fire is real. And yes, it matters. It matters. Because it, det- it determines everything we do here in this life. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready to meet him? This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.